again, and welcome to American Top 40. I'm Casey Kasem, and I'm all set to count down the 40 best-selling songs in the USA this week, according to the Billboard National Chart. We have seven debut tunes in the survey and a new one at the top. Let's get it all started right here. Great, Casey. Thanks a lot, and great to have you with us. We're going to count down our 100 albums, though, not songs. Good golly, Miss Molly. No, no, don't worry about it. It's okay. Very pleased to have you on board with us. Welcome aboard, Casey. We're glad to have you as part of our countdown. I can say personally, I don't, I, I don't even have, I don't even have a, an accounting of how many hours I spent listening to your shows on Sundays in my little house in Portland in the '70s and the '80s. He may be the person that pioneered counting down. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, what was there before? I don't know, but uh, if we're going to do a show counting down our 100 greatest albums, you know, Casey joining us is the perfect way to approach it. Well, slight modification, I guess. If everyone loves to count, I think Sesame Street probably deserves a certain amount of credit there as well. However, Casey has spawned a ton of imitation, right? So in the 80s, Rick Dees had his own show that I listened to a lot. And then go into the 90s, VH1 kind of survived on countdowns. Top 20 video countdown they would do, and MTV had one of those as well. And then and then uh, VH1 had these whole series about best fill-in-the-blank of this decade, and they would count down 100 of this or that. But I, I can't think of anyone that came before him. Yes, and plenty have come after, as you've said. We've in this show done the top 1,000 from 1987 Rock Channel, Rock Station KISW. We've done our top five of this or that, but we thought let's let's really look at this and do the top, our favorite 100 albums of all times. And so we're calling it the Pick 100. And so here we go from Portland, Oregon. I'm Kevin Toon. I'm Casey Kasem, and I'm Jeff Payne. And this is the Pick 100. So this is a kind of a special episode of our show. We normally cover all kinds of entertainment and some music features, but this time it's all about our albums, and this is the first of 10 episodes where we're going to count down to number one. This episode, we're just doing 100 through 91 of our favorite albums of all time. And, and a distinction right there, you said favorite albums of all time. So yes. for those that hear this and might think, oh, okay, well, we're going to get this, you know, immersion into the greats, the classics, the all-time bestsellers, the ones that the critics loved, the, the ones that every music snob says you have to have in your collection. That's not really the case. This is more about, at least I'll, from, from my side of the aisle here, this is more about what, what has lasted and resonated with you as an album that you will continue to listen to. Yes, it's really, it's, they're fairly personal lists. I mean, we respect the lists of best albums of all time, and some of those albums will be on our lists, but, but this is not what we consider the best albums of all time. I, I, I consider it kind of a product of happenstance. It happens to be that I got into ACDC and Queen when I was in, in junior high, but I didn't get into Bob Dylan. And right. so, you know, Bob Dylan, obviously one of the greatest rock artists of all time, if not the greatest in many people's minds, but just not ever really on my radar. So I never really got to know his albums. And that is no lack of respect for the man. I just, it, it just doesn't appear on my list because 
it happened to be that I liked these other bands and I listened to these other bands. And the same goes for like the Beatles who do appear on my list, but not as much as maybe they should as, as far as the greatest albums of all time. I would say on top of happenstance, there's an element of connection, right? I mean, when I hear you say that, I hear you say, look, I really connected with ACDC at this time in my life and that lasted. So that's what, that's one of the drivers that is putting them, is going to put them on this list. If you yes. had connect, if you had connected with Bob Dylan, then that's probably a different circumstance. Absolutely. It gets into the idea of why music uh, affects us and why it becomes something that we we carry with us, you know, we carry forward with us and go back to. And absolutely, we're also a product of the 80s. We're children of the 80s. We're only two years apart in age. And we uh, first got to understand music when we were little kids in the 70s and really grew into it in the 80s. And then and then also, my tastes really evolved in the 90s. Um, and so the 90s are very highly represented in my list because that's when I started to find different types of music. And I still strive to do that today. So... We both are going to have some differences in our criteria, but for the most part, these are albums that we loved when they came out, we love still today, and we think we'll be listening to uh, for the rest of our lives. Let's dive in. Yes, let's do it. And we also want to make sure to remind you all that we like to hear from you as well, because everyone has their favorite albums, and we all want to be able to share them with each other. So don't forget, you can always call The Pick Line. That's right, Kevin, the pick line. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing how you can go to that place instantly. I know. Well, that well was that, that's from the promo that we recorded, and I just love it when you say... The pick line! So uh, <laughs> Don't blow the magic, okay? <laughs> no, I'm going, to, I'm going to overplay that as much that's as fine. I can. That's fine. That's <laughs> fine. I just want to... I, as long as we're, uh, we're in the mode of, of talking about the pick line, uh, a request... Go find that young lady who uh, called and said uh, Culture Club's Kissing to be Clever changed her life. We yeah. should talk to her. Yeah, we should definitely find out who that woman is. <laughs> I don't Maybe. know if we should talk to her. Maybe we should just find out who it is and yeah, put a yeah. big question mark next to her. <laughs> so picture. please, uh, we'll play a little bit later uh, the promo again, but it's for the pick, 3-4. Call that number anytime. It's just a message line. No one will answer. You can just tell us what your albums are, whether they're your favorite or just some of your favorites, whatever. We want to hear from you. We've already heard from s several people and we'll start playing some of them this episode. We want to hear from more, so give it a call. And what's it called again, Jeff? The Pick Line. <laughs> oh, you could have dropped. You could have. You could have put my voice there. I don't know. Whatever. Well, I thought I said it pretty well, but you yeah. did. The Pick Line. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty. That's that is better. The Pick Line. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, has that that has more of like a, a full body convulsion yes, effect to exactly. it. Yeah. yeah that's right. Okay. So um, also uh, we have gotten some help from uh, various people across the internet and people we know to help us read the numbers since mm. you know since Casey Kasem used to have the uh, American top 40 number number 40. 44 <laughs> yeah, yeah we thought well let's find some different people to do that so uh, the first one I'd like to hand it off to Mr. Bob Fuller in Los Angeles thank you Jeff and Kevin let's get some shit going 100 nice was was he uh, was he doing all of that production himself, or did he just provide the vocal track? I think he got a little happy with his uh, reverb effect on GarageBand. Is what uh, that's pretty cool though. Motivated him. <laughs> so this is my only selection from 2020, and to include one so recent release, I had to consider my appreciation of the record now 
but also imagine its lasting power. And Fiona Apple's Fetch the Bolt Cutters is such a fun, introspective masterpiece that I'm pretty sure it will be something I listen to for years to come. This is the first song, I Want You to Love Me, and I think it's a good example of the twists and turns this record offers. And it ends with a cacophony of sound. She's nothing if not a bit nutty on this album. She recorded this at home with a lot of percussion, sounds around the house, such as her dogs barking. It sounds like something one would record during a pandemic, but as it happened, it was just released during one. And perhaps my favorite song is the second one, Shamika, in which she recounts a childhood story in which a girl she barely knew left an impression on her by telling her one simple thing. So for me, Kevin, this is actually the best album of uh, 2020 so far. Putting it at 100, I think, was appropriate because, like I said, I'm not totally sure where it will land in my favorite uh, list in the future, but right now I want it on the list. This last track you played, Shamika, Shamika I believe it is, Shamika, is, the yeah. one I, is the one that probably uh, resonated or connected with me the most. I, unlike you, the, the sort of disjointed randomness of some of the other stuff, it just didn't, it wasn't something that I could put on my could could put in my headphones and, and go with i'm curious do you see yourself connecting with something so kind of off the wall i guess like this in in five to ten years i think i do and that's and that's, yeah. that's what's it's, it's harder to assess that and you're right i mean i can see this album not connecting with everybody but she has so much going on so much to say about her career starting uh, really young in the business you know and having decisions made for her where she is now where she hasn't really released much in a long time this album contains uh, stuff from the last eight years and so for me the disjointedness is part of the, the, the greatness of this record. It's that it's just not just a straightforward collection of songs. It's just saying a lot of different things in a lot of different ways and a lot of fun ways too. So, The tracks that I sampled, there, there was one that definitely had a hint back to her, her uh, early work. You know, the, the, the song that of hers that I know and like the best is Criminal, which is probably her biggest hit. But mm -hmm. uh, I could hear some echoes of that throughout listening to this. It, for me, that was kind of refreshing because... Uh, Vocally, I really like what she brings to a song. I think she's got a, a distinct voice and she's an outstanding vocalist. The other stuff just, I just wasn't feeling it. All right, well, that's your choice, man. What do you got for number 100? So for my number 100, we're going to go to 2008 and an album that is described as a mix of indie pop, chamber pop, I have no idea what that is, but also world beat and Afro pop. And it's... The debut album from Vampire Weekend.
So this song is track two. It's called A Punk. But I wanted to play it first because it was a sound that immediately caught my attention when I was given this CD. So this this goes back, Jeff, to when we would burn CDs for each other in that decade and share music that way. Yes. And so I had a buddy who said, hey, this is cool. You should check it out. So this record got a ton of critical praise. One critic calling it one of the best debut records of all time. They said this band inspired a lot of indie bands at the time, and, and if you think about the early 2000s, that's, that's kind of when that terminology really started to be used, indie bands. Uh, I mentioned it earlier, I like the mix of different sounds, and I also like a song that begins with, what the fuck, as you'll hear in this one, Oxford comma. Okay, I was slightly wrong. It's who gives a fuck. But that, that's a memorable moment on this record for me. And what I like about the sound of this band is the simplicity mixed with the blending of different sounds. Paul Simon is a big fan of this band. And there are stories out there that the band got a little bit criticized for trying to rip off Graceland. But the artist himself, Paul Simon, uh, was very complimentary of Vampire Weekend. I, ha I guess I have a certain affinity for successful debut albums because I think you catch a band at a unique creative time. Their follow-ups to this were, were pretty good, but they didn't, they didn't match this in my opinion. The other thing I like about this one is I like albums with a great closing track. It's called Kids Don't Stand a Chance. For me, at the time this record came out, Jeff, I hadn't heard really a whole lot that was like this. And it I re recall just being excited listening to it because I had not really paid attention to new music for a long time. And it kind of helped me get excited about discovering new music again. That's cool, yeah. It, this is one of those bands I've known about, but like I said at the beginning, Happenstance, I just never really uh, listened to them very much. I definitely know some of their songs from the radio. And I love that opening, uh, Who Gives a Fuck About an Oxford Comma? I mean, right. that's that's funny and also speaks to my life, having a journalist father and an English teacher mother. Uh, it's, it's just, uh, it's creative and uh, not just another song about uh, love relationship, you know? Yep. So it's the debut album, sometimes referred to as the eponymous Vampire Weekend album, my number 100. For our next guest number reader, we have Jack Hartman, the kids exercise guru, I guess. I don't know. He's something about that. Let's, 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 let's hand it over to him. Count backwards from 100 now. Count down by ones and move around. Fill your brain and body and have some fun. Exercise and count backwards from 100 by ones. Stretch your arms side to side. 99. That took a long time to get to the number. <laughs> well, yeah, and if he's talking to kids, they don't have much of an attention span either. So I, somebody's got to get with Jack and maybe uh, give him a brief primer on learning styles. All right, my 99 is from 1984. It's the Pretenders Learning to Crawl. This plays almost like a greatest hits compilation today. It's so many songs on this album were rock radio staples back then, and really still are. Let's just play snippets from all of them. Trying to find me, 
listen to the whole song every time I hear these things. It's a Pretenders. I was really looking at Pretenders 1 and 2, trying to figure out which album was biggest for me. And then I suddenly realized, actually, it was their third album, Learning to Crawl, that almost every song on there I was very happy with and very familiar with. So this was the one that made the list because they're a great band. And I think this album uh, was really their crowning achievement, even though some of the songs on their first two uh, were maybe the bigger classics. Well, this is this to me is a great achievement because of what was going on with their band at the time. Yeah. Two of their key, pl- their their lead guitarist and their bass player, James Honeyman Scott and Pete Farndon, died before the making of this album. In fact, "Back on the Chain Gang" is about James Honeyman Scott's death, and they knock it out of the park, bringing in Robbie McIntosh, and I'm not sure who the bass player was that they brought in, but. I agree with you. This is an, one of the funny outcomes of this exercise we're doing here, Jeff, is I'll probably come across albums like this that you'll bring up, and I'll right. go, that, that probably should be in my 100, too, and I'm definitely going to go back and listen to it more. I think this record really confirmed Chrissy Hine as one of the most important women in rock music. Absolutely. My childhood memories so now to my number 99 pick from 2012. This is the English band Muse. This is their sixth record. I had not heard of them prior to this. Uh, the album is The Second Law. And I want to start with a tune that I'm sure you will recognize immediately, as will our audience. Uh, I think it qualifies into the category of smash hit. It actually spent 19 weeks at number one on the alternate rock chart. It's called Madness. So don't be deceived by hearing the beginning of this song and think, oh, this is an electronica album or a more synth-driven record. There's a lot of heavy guitar in here. The other thing that I really enjoyed about this record is it's, I don't think it's intentionally or it's not conceptually theatrical, but it has this the feel of a theatrical performance. And I read that uh, Bowie and Queen were big influences uh, in the making of this record. One critic said, with Muse, we've just become accustomed to the fact that we're going to hear obscene overinflation. And what happens on various tracks of this of this album is they 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 start to go over the top in in how they how the tracks sound. This one achieves that. It's called Supremacy.
So I don't know about you, Jeff, but when this part of the song kicks in, I start thinking about James Bond movies. Yeah. And I just thought, you know, this is cool. They're they're just letting it loose, and I I went with it. I like the uniqueness of their sound. I, I really don't know that much about their previous albums. And then, and then see how the song shifts here, and you get it almost into a more of a narrative lyric. Wake to see your true emancipation is a there's like a storytelling element going on here, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, out of the albums that you picked this episode that I wasn't familiar with, this was the one that I was most interested in. I definitely knew the song Madness from before, and I always liked it. But uh, the rest of the album definitely has a, a dynamic aspect to it that uh, really connected to me. The big, gigantic hit for me is often a doorway to discovering some of these records. Now, this is another one that kind of sounds like a jam. Uh, this one's called Panic Station. And again, I think they just try to let loose and just see if they can take it to a level that's a little crazy, but still fun to listen to. Very often, Jeff, artists getting trying to get goofy, I'll, it's kind of a turnoff for me. But this one has enough, I think, substance underneath that it kept me interested. Yes, absolutely a good choice. The album is The Second Law from Use. And Kevin, I gotta say, so far on the show today, mm-hmm. you've done two albums from the aughts, and mm-hmm. we've always talked about how you're much more the old school guy, but you seem to be, uh, so far at least, in your lower numbers on this list, picking some uh, newer music. And I will tell you, here's a sneak peek, that trend will continue in this episode, and it's somewhat deliberate, because as I went through and created this list, and there were a lot of older albums that still are very, you know, important to me that automatically jump to the top. But the second, the latter portion of that list has things that I've discovered more recently. And as I mentioned before, there was a time when I just didn't discover a lot of new music. And then there was a stretch where I just really got into that. Okay, so our next uh, celebrity reader, if you want to call her a celebrity, is uh, an internet uh, woman who does ASMR, which I don't know, Kevin. But people, I have no idea what that is. People really get off on this this whispering like literally? And sound. Yes. Well, I don't know about oh. you. Probably literally, but I <laughs> I didn't mean that when I said it. But, okay. But uh, really whispering sounds around the microphone. I mean. Yeah, you just creep me out. Zoe Kravitz did a beer commercial doing that, where she's sitting in a field with a microphone on a table, and she's making different sounds. And and so uh, this one woman got a request to do a countdown from 100 to 1. And I, from the comments on our YouTube uh, page, for this people loved it so let's listen to her uh, read the next number for us 98 could you listen to that for an hour no no uh five minutes maybe uh, long enough to finally realize that that little tiny clicking sound is her fingernails yes and, she, and later she other. gets a water, an empty water bottle and she kind of crinkles it a bit while she reads the numbers it's just really exciting she, she her uh, facebook page and uh youtube channel is called lots of bunnies great just to <laughs> further proof there's just no end to what you will discover on the internet yes and you know in the 90s there was no end to the new types of music that i could discover it's a great wish This is a British duo who released several singles, but only one full album. And they specialized in finding spoken word samples and building music around it. From 1998, this is the Propeller Heads and their album, Dex and Drums and Rock and Roll. (laughs) 
This is the opening track and my favorite on the album. It's called Take California. They use clips from politicians, including Richard Nixon, to build a base for the song. Senator, welcome to our microphone. Is there anything of yours that we can keep as a memento of this business? Take California. kind of love that idea of asking, is there anything we could take as a memento? And he says, take California. Didn't actually happen, but it's funny if it did. This was also the first song ever used in an Apple iPod commercial. Interestingly enough. The second track is called Velvet Pants, and it uses a couple of women's voices from a documentary. They also contributed to a James Bond tribute with this extended track called On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Their music uh, charted much higher in the UK than it did here, but many of their tracks were used in movies and video games including the single History Repeating, where they teamed with vocalist Shirley Bassey. This song was used in uh, There's Something About Mary. That the revolution's near But to me it seems quite clear That it's all just a little bit of history repeating Kevin, this was one of those 90s albums along with uh, Massive Attack's Mezzanine uh, and the Chemical Brothers that really ushered in the world of electronic and uh, dance music into my playlist. I think this is another one that I would add to uh, my little short list of notes here that I'm keeping of, oh, Jeff Jeff just uh, connected me with something new. I like their unique approach with sampling of, of just a whole myriad of elements to construct a song. Uh, and they recognize, I think, too, the importance of hooks. Because a lot of these, that's that's what kind of gets you, at least me, connected to it. Absolutely. This album is just full of hooks and really pretty funny sound bites that they've just scoured the world for old films and documentaries for that uh, other than this song doesn't have any, but almost every other track on the album does. And it's a, actually a pretty funny album to listen to, too. But, man, it just works really well for cranking in the car. This is, uh, again, 1998. Propeller Heads was the group. The album is all one word, actually. Decks and drums and rock and roll. Okay, Jeff, so for my number 98, guess which decade I'm going to. Well, are you going to the aughts again? Yeah, I mean, we'll just consider the aughts. I mean, the aughts are truly uh, 2000 to 2010. This is from 2006 and radically different sound than what we just heard from Propeller Heads. This is a mix of blues and garage rock, the great Jack White leading the charge for the Rackin' Tours. And the album is Broken Boy Soldiers. This is the biggest hit, Steady As She Goes.
So safe to say, Jack White is a guitar god for the ages. I mean, he did that documentary where it was him, Jimmy Page, and The Edge on stage talking about how to play guitar. I wasn't that familiar with his White Stripes work, but this got a lot of radio airplay and got me really thinking, pondering, I guess, or just exploring who Jack White was. I think it's different than the White Stripes sound because it has more melodic, I think more traditional song composition than a lot of stuff that the the Stripes did. But this was generally uh, talked about as a super group effort. It's the uh, combination of Jack White and uh, Brendan Benson uh, and a couple of their buddies that were in a different band. Steady As She Goes was really the inspiration for actually creating the Tours. It was considered the album of the year in 2006 by Mojo Magazine in Britain, and also a Grammy nominee for album of the year. This track is actually my personal favorite. It's called Level. Jeff, what I really like about this record is that it gives you the raw power and unique sound of Jack White, but around it, you have more groove, you have more of a, of, a, of a traditional rhythm section sound, and the blend just works really well for me. This, he and Brendan Benson actually went on to form the Dead Weather, which have a couple of really good albums too. Yeah, I was a fan, a uh, big fan of White Stripes, and I, I somehow, I don't really know why I missed out on this album, because I love Steady As She Goes, and I knew the album was highly acclaimed, and I just never got on my radar for some reason. And listening to it now, I don't know why I missed it, because it's great. And I also have enjoyed uh, their more recent album as well. So, great choice. We're going to go to Casey now, who has a letter from a listener. It comes from Greg Kinkley at the University of Hawaii. And he writes, Dear Casey, I'm a graduate student in linguistics, and I'd like to know what record sung in a foreign language hit number one during the rock era. Well, Greg, three foreign language songs have made it to the number one position during the last 21 years. One in Italian, one in Japanese, and one in French. In 1958, it was Nel Blu de Pinto de Blu, or Volare, by Domenico Modugno. In 63, it was Sukiyaki, by Q Sakamoto. And in late 63, the singing nun hit number one with Dominique. Now, interestingly, uh, Casey said that in the 70s. And there was no other song from 63 until the mid-70s when he read that. And there still was no other song until 1986 that hit number one. And that was Rock Me Amadeus, which, <laughs> which is in German except for the chorus line, Rock Me Amadeus, which, of course, is repeated about a million times. Yeah, that's right. I, I, I kept thinking, wait, that's not right. But you're right. The, the, the 75% of that song is German. Yeah. But all I remember is the, ooh, <laughs> rock me on my day. Exactly. That's all, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's 23-year gap. And then after that, the next one was the year after that, La Bamba right, by Los right. Lobos, the remake of Richie Valens' uh, hit song. Los Lobos made it big with La Bamba. That's the best one on the list. Yeah, I think so. And then the other two, um, I don't think they really count hey. because Macarena was originally done in Spanish, but the one that went number one was the English version. So I don't think that really counts. And uh, Despacito, which was very recent, 2017, by uh, Luis Fonzi, Daddy Yankee, and featuring Justin Bieber, which is probably why it went to number one. That also had a fair amount of English in it. So I think the main ones are the five, the three that Casey mentioned, and mm -hmm. Rock Me Amadeus and La Bamba. Sukiyaki um, was actually redone, uh, uh, I want to say, by A Taste of Honey it, in the late right. 70s. That's exactly correct. Uh, it was their follow-up to Boogie 
Oogie, Oogie. <laughs> exactly right. Taste of Honey did it. And the funny thing about that song, too, is that um, it's actually kind of a depressing song about post-war Japan. Yeah. Um, and the original title in Japanese translated to I Look Up When I Walk. And wow. they changed the name to Sukiyaki uh, to release it here, which is basically a Japanese meat dish. I was going to uh, say, isn't that food? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it has nothing to do with the song. But okay. I guess they just thought it sounded cool uh, for the American audience, which is kind of lame. But anyway. Well, yeah, mildly racist, too. I think. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And yeah. the reason we went through that right now is that I am now going to uh, play something completely different. <laughs> Because for my numero 97, it is the only album on my list that is 100% in a foreign language. It's Rosalia's El Mar Quedar from 2018. Now you may ask, how, how did a 26-year-old Spanish singer who blends traditional flamenco with modern pop and electronic make my list. <laughs> well, I'd probably be surprised to hear that a few years back too, but I was so impressed by her approach that I couldn't stop listening when I discovered it. This song, Malamente, was a huge hit in Spain and Latin America and was uh, the first song I discovered from her in late 2018. <laughs> This album's songs are told in chapters, and the story is inspired by Flamenca, which is a 13th century book about a woman imprisoned by her jealous fiancé. So this is no young pop starlet of the moment. She's got a lot of ideas and a lot of interesting stuff. This song is my favorite. It's called uh, Pienso en tu mira, or Thinking About Your Gaze. Since this album, she's been a very busy collaborator, teaming with rapper Travis Scott, Jay Balvin, James Blake, and others. And she's expanded into more hip-hop and reggaeton tracks. She was nominated for multiple Grammys, and she also performed at the Grammys telecast earlier this year. So, I, Kevin, I'm surprised myself that this is the kind of music that I love now, but... It's just another thing to add to my playlist, uh, but I think she's someone to watch. And you discovered this primarily because you are a regular listener to the Santa Monica radio station that debuts a lot of this music? Yes, and they picked her as the new artist of the year for 2018. And to be honest, I couldn't have remembered her songs that they'd played on the radio, so I started listening to her, and I just loved it from the start. And when I started reading about the thought she puts behind her album and her flamenco training she started as a young girl, I just thought, wow, she's really got a lot going on here, and, and I've, I've really liked everything she's released sense. Fascinating to me that, you know, for the both of us that really grew up listening to American radio, top 40, classic rock, AOR, this kind of stuff just was not available. You know, and even that list that Casey Kasem shared there, you could see a progression of the availability or the exposure to music from other countries, which is much more possible now, I think, just with the connectivity of the internet. Absolutely. So, uh, Kevin, which uh, flamenco Spanish artist do you have for number 97? 
<laughs> well, I'm sure there's a translation somewhere available. As I said before, you could scour the internet and find just about anything. Uh, I'm returning to the decade that sort of was our sweet spot. This is from August of 1980. And I'm actually um, going to throw you a curveball here, Jeff. Um, can we play the song that actually was the second to ever appear on MTV? Kevin, we can do whatever you want. So this song was actually the second to appear on MTV. Jeff, do you know what the first one was? Video Killed the Radio Star. Exactly. And that was more of a novelty choice. This was like the first rock explosion song, I guess, that MTV gave us. But this is You Better Run. I didn't realize this, Jeff, but this is a remake of a song by the Young Rascals. You better run. Yep, this one got to number 40-some uh, on the charts, I think 42. This is from Crimes of Passion. This is Pat Benatar's follow-up to In the Heat of the Night, which was her 1979 debut. It's the number one selling Pat Benatar album of all time, mainly because of this song. This is her biggest hit, Hit Me With Your Best Shot. This really launched her, I think, Jeff, into superstardom. I mean, her first, her debut album is great, but this one broke her through, and I think MTV had a lot to do with that. She followed this song up with Treat Me Right, which uh, didn't quite get to the top 10. Uh, Hit Me With Your Best Shot made it into the top five. However, the song that's actually going to keep me coming back to this record, I mean, I, I discovered this at a time when I was just entering my teens, and so I was discovering a lot of my own music. This is the song, really, that I look forward to listening to the most when I go back and listen to this record. This is Hell Is For Children. It closes out side one, and I think, Jeff, what sticks with me on this one is, I mean, the, the guitar work of Neil Giraldo in this is, is incredible. But thematically, this is one of the first songs that I remember listening to that really dealt with a serious subject. And it deals, of course, with child abuse. I mean, with lyrics like, you know, be a good little boy, you'll get a new toy, tell grandma you fell off the swing. They didn't hold back. They went right after a very important subject and put it right in your face. So for me, this one definitely has to be in my top 100. Maybe the most important female voice in rock in the last 50 years. Ridiculously not in the Hall of Fame, which I've said before on this podcast. This is Crimes of Passion from Pat Benefit. On the bubble for me. Definitely was close. It's in the uh, 101, 102 area. <laughs> great album. Great choice. Number 96. Number 96. That's my niece, Anna. Oh, really? Nice. Yes, she's uh, contributed some counting. I think it's impressive that you guys, you know, you've got her started up there in the 90s instead of just learning one to five. Well, I think it took a little bit of a uh, little bit of coaching, maybe, but uh, <laughs> yes. I've seen Anna on Facebook. She's a ham. All right, so number ninety-six. I'm going from uh, Rosalia Spanish to one of the best albums of all time. Although I don't have a lot of their albums on my list, it doesn't mean I don't respect them as perhaps the greatest band in rock history. 
Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Bad is considered by many to be the greatest album of all time, and I, I can't argue with that. What would you think if I sang out a tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? I really like the transition with a lot of the songs in this album flowing into each other, but each of them also being some of the greatest hits of all time. Um, we hear the Beatles everywhere, and I have my whole life. So many amazing songs, but it wasn't really until my college years that I got into their albums. And Abbey Road was my biggest one that's going to be higher on my list, but uh, Sgt. Pepper's is right behind it as far as a great listen all the way through. Will you still need me? Will you still feed me? When I'm 64. We've talked a lot about the importance of the last song on the album you just did with Pat Benatar a minute ago, and this one ends with one of their masterpieces, A Day in the Life. I read the news today, oh boy, about a lucky man who made the grave. Kevin, so much to say about the Beatles. I'm almost intimidated to try to discuss their significance in this oh, short yeah. segment when we've got 20 albums to cover. Yeah, you mentioned that the Day in the Life considered a masterpiece. I've seen many a countdown in which it's considered the greatest song in rock uh, by the classic rock stations. Yeah. Um, this one probably, this album will probably wind up on my list and that seems a little odd to say that it might, that it's sort of hanging in the balance. Um, unlike you, I discovered the Beatles uh, almost the day I discovered music because I have six brothers and sisters and um, my oldest sibling was a huge fan so I was listening to and singing Beatles songs probably when I was three years old I've listened to this record so many times it's almost unfair that um, you, you reach a point where you listen to something so much that it may not be the thing you reach for and that's that's what I'm kind of struggling with to figure out whether to put it in the top 100 or not because it's a great record no doubt about it it's just I've heard it so many times, I just don't know if I would choose it over Abbey Road or, for me, Revolver or Rubber Soul. Yeah, I was not sure if it would be on my list either, but then I listened to it again recently and go, oh no, this this has got to be there, and, and you know what, I need to listen to this album more often. Yeah. At my number 96, it was released on June 1st, 1967, it's the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. All right, I'm going to stay in the 80s, now to 1981 for my pick at number 96. This is Beauty and the Beat. That's the name of the album by the Go-Go's. I think one of the most important records of that decade and one of the most important records for female rock artists. This is their lead single. So I talked about MTV before, Jeff how important it was to Pat Benatar. It was probably more important to the Go-Go's because this song got massive exposure on MTV. It was playing every other hour back in the day when you and I were teenagers sitting there staring at MTV for hours and hours and hours just watching music videos. The Go-Go's recently released a documentary about their career. Watching that recently made me realize the importance of having this record in my top 100. This next track you're listening to is uh, We Got the Beat, which was very much a punk song that got repackaged for popular radio airplay. This record, I think, really took them to a different level. Beat, 
I'm so glad you included this album because it didn't make my list. I don't think I listened to the album very much uh, because I didn't. Rem- I don't really remember a lot of the back album songs as much. So although these songs are are big for me, the whole album uh, didn't quite make the cut. So I'm very glad you included it because it is a definitely a, an important record. You know, you can't call the Go-Go's a one-hit wonder. Their follow-up to this vacation and the follow-up to that talk show both did very well, but I don't think they reached this level. They worked with a renowned producer, Richard Goderer, who was a a well-known hit maker, and he helped them refine their punk sound. The, The album is full of a lot of excellent tracks, especially like this one called This Town. So you got to remember the, the Go-Go's started out in the L.A. punk scene and they couldn't play their instruments. They brought in uh, Charlotte Caffey, who was their primary songwriter, who had uh, musical training in piano and had done actual songwriting. That's reflected strongly on this record. She's got the writing credit for the, for the balance of the tracks. Others I would recommend, How Much More, Lust to Love, Can't Stop the World, and Skid Marks on My Heart, which I always love to just say that title. Yeah, those last two songs, those are the last two songs on the album that I I think are a couple of the best. Another opportunity to say, what the F, this is a band that's not in the Rock Hall of Fame either, and I don't get it. I mean, they didn't have a huge body of work, but it's important work. And I thought what they achieved breaking through with this record, that alone, in my opinion, is worthy of enshrinement. Time for a strongly worded letter, I would say. Or an email. So that's number 96 for Kevin, the Go-Go's Beauty and the Beat. Time for a break. Hey, Kevin. Hey, Jeff. Are you ready to count down your pick 100? Yeah, Jeff, I sure am. But we shouldn't have all the fun, should we? Mm, I'm okay with that. Well, how about we let our faithful listeners join in? How would they do that, Jeff? Well, by calling For the Pick 3-4, of course. For the Pick 3-4? What's that? It's our new pick line, For the Pick 3-4. The pick line? That's right. The Pick wants to hear your favorite albums of all time. You can tell us one, or you can tell us five. It's up to you. Whatever album has Freebird on it, man. Culture Club, kissing to be clever, changed my life. Hello? Hello? Uh, is this thing on? Just call 4, the Pick 3-4, and leave your picks at the beat. Call 4, the Pick 3-4 now. That's 484-374-2534. Long as the break may apply. The Pick is not responsible for future ridicule of the lane choices. We don't judge, but can't speak for everyone. Call 4, three, the Pick 4 now. Wow, Jeff. That's great. Yes, Kevin, I sure am. So, Jeff, there's a rumor going around that the Pick line is picking up steam. It is. We have calls in, and although I'm going to play one now from a guest on our show... We have calls from people that aren't on our show, too. So uh, it's, it's picking up steam. Everyone, you need to call. But here's, uh, here's one of our first calls. Oh, hey, this is uh, Kenichi from Torrance, California. Big fan of the show, The Picnic. Oh, sorry, The Pick. Um, yeah, I just want to say, you know, I'm a real big fan of both you guys. Uh, Kendrick, Jerry, you guys are really talented. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I just wanted to call in real quick and leave my a couple of my favorite albums here. Um, I'm going to give you three, and in no particular order. Uh, let's see, 2010, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy by Kanye West. Uh, from 2016, uh, the album Blonde by Frank Ocean. 
and from 2015, the album Currents by Tame Impala. And uh, yeah, picked all three of those because they had a tremendous impact on my upbringing. Okay, thank you guys. Keep doing what you do. A little bit from Tame Impala's album Current. The song's called The Less I Know The Better. Good choice by Kenichi. This is another band that I would like to know more about, but I just haven't taken the time to get into yet. Happy Pop, how I'd describe that. And the countdown continues. All right, sounds like Casey's getting a little impatient. We should get back to the countdown. My number 95, this duo often subtitles their name with French Band, but this is a debut album by Air, Moon Safari. This is kind of like the uh, ultimate trip out, space out record. Much of it is instrumental and just evokes kind of like, I always imagine myself lying down in a meadow, tripping on mushrooms, even though I've never had mushrooms. (laughs) That's the idea, right? Just to imagine it. Although about half of it's instrumental, some of the songs do have lyrics, kind of like this quirky one called Sexy Boy. Perhaps my favorite track is called All I Need uh, with American singer Beth Hirsch. Speaking of tripping, this song was used in one of my favorite movies, Go, in a scene where the characters get stoned and have a (laughs) three-way. That one's called Talisman, and I can't decide whether it's my favorite on the album or if it's the previous one I played all I need but just a great trippy record their first album they've released several more the ones I've listened to I think are good too but this one has always remained one of my favorites and Kevin this is my second pick this episode from 1998 which happens to be the most represented year on my entire list with seven entries I was gonna say I think it was it was uh, an easy bet that um, if if not the 80s the 90s were going to be the decade that throughout this entire countdown for you will be best represented. Yes, it is. So you kind of tipped your hand a little bit here as far as uh, your personal life if Talisman is actually your favorite song. (laughs) Why, because of the three-way scene? Right. (laughs) Getting stoned and having a three-way. So I'm just throwing that out there. (laughs) I think I liked it before that movie, so (laughs) there's that. Okay, Jeff, for my number 95, it's another debut album, and it's, again, a record from the aughts. And, again, caught my attention because of a monster hit. And the album is St. Elsewhere. The duo is Gnarls Barkley. This is from May of 2006.
There are many critics and reviewers who will tell you that this song, Crazy, was the song of that decade. Uh, this is a Grammy-winning song, Grammy-winning album. The duo is CeeLo Green on vocals, who went on to his own solo success. And the backbone of it, and probably what draws me to this album and their other album, The Odd Couple, is the producer, Brian Burton, also known as Danger Mouse. So I'm a big fan of Danger Mouse's work. He's done work with Beck. He's done work with the Black Keys. He has his own group called Broken Bells. He's even worked a little bit with U2. And as I said, Crazy was the song that got me interested in the band. But then I discovered songs like this one, Gone Daddy Gone, that continues to have that precision production, but is that really fun blend of pop and funk. And if you don't recognize it, this song is a remake of a hit for the Violent Femmes. St. Elsewhere is a record I know I'll be listening to again and again for several years. One of the things I really like about it is just the uniqueness of each song. And this one is called Who Cares? has a lot of surprises in it, a lot of elements I didn't see coming. And I like that element throughout the record. Yeah, good pick, Kevin. This is a great, great duo. I have I actually bought their album, Odd Couple, and not this one, but I definitely uh, enjoy their hits, and you're right. Dynamic, twists and turns you don't see coming. Really fun stuff. 94. Totally. Thanks, Bob. My number 94 is Courtney Barnett's 2015 debut full-length, Sometimes I Sit and Think, and Sometimes I Just Sit. That's the opening track called Elevator Operator. This was her first full-length album after a series of critically acclaimed EPs. She sings all the vocals, plays lead guitar left-handed, and does not use a pick. Fun, rocking, and infinitely catchy. This was the first song I heard from her called Pedestrian at Best. Be sure to listen to the lyrics. That's probably my favorite line on the album. Give me all your money and I'll make you origami, honey. <laughs> she got a monotone style of singing, kind of singing mixed with almost ranting. She got Grammy nominations for this album and for Best New Artist. This last track is called Dead Fox, about how consumerism and global warming is really screwing with animals. Kevin, I've seen her play twice here in Portland, and she's great on stage. The last show, she was wearing black jeans and a white t-shirt, and she's kind of tall and lanky, and she reminded me of Pete Townsend, the way she swings her arms 
uh, when she plays the guitar and such energy. Uh, great artist. Yeah, this is a record you shared with me not not too long ago, actually, and I really liked what I heard on first listen. I definitely want to spend some more time with it. And the edge that she brings is really fun, but it doesn't get in the way of the message. Yes, uh, definitely I agree. And her more recent album, too, uh, is equally good. So I'm excited to see uh, where she goes with her career. Courtney Barnett's Sometimes I Sit and Think and Sometimes I Just Sit is number 94 for me. I never knew, I never knew that everything was falling through. So for me at number 94 is an album called How to Save a Life. This is a band out of Denver called The Fray. I actually first got um, exposed to them because they opened a U2 concert around this time. Didn't pay that much attention to them, but this song I kept hearing over and over. This is their biggest song. It's called uh, Over My Head. This is a piano-driven sound from this band, and some have compared them to Coldplay. Uh, an interesting contrast, the critical reviews of this record were pretty much middling or average, but in terms of sales and commercial success, this album was a smash. It at one time was considered the best, or it actually was the best-selling digital album of all time. That's probably been eclipsed, but this album has a lot of uh, hooks. I think the singer has a really catchy voice. It's unique. That's probably one thing that drew me to it. At this stage of life, a piano-driven sound is kind of clicks with me. And you hear it on some of the other tracks we're going to share with you. This next one is the title track called How to Save a Life. You stare politely right on through some sort of So this is another song that I think showcases uh, the unique sound, both the piano playing and the singing of lead singer Isaac Slade. Again, not really what I would consider a rockin' record, but one that caught my attention because I hadn't heard a lot like it. And the songs were catchy, and it's definitely one I'm going to keep listening to. Yeah, since you kind of, maybe a little bit, dissed my Fiona Apple choice, uh, I'll return the favor here. This, okay. one, this one didn't connect to me. I just I found it kind of dull. But I recognize that I think a lot of music in our lives, if you hear it and you like it uh, at least a little bit and you listen to it more and more, it becomes something that's kind of dear to you, even if it's not that great of a record. So maybe that's the case here. Yeah, and it, like I said, it was at a time. Well, I, I appreciate the backhanded compliment. Yeah. And the, uh, the lasting thing for me is, again, this comes from a time where with – some of these other records, you know, St. Elsewhere, Vampire Weekend, Broken Boy Soldiers, where I was just rediscovering the experience of discovering music again. Because through the 90s, I, did, I just wasn't as into it. And then this decade, it became much more of a thing. I put some time and effort. So for me, at number 94, that is the first full-length album by the Denver-based band, The Fray, How to Save a Life. Checking in at number 93 is Creedence Clearwater Revival's Chronicle. This is one of the few greatest hits compilations on my list. It's chock full of music of so many iconic songs really kind of amazing how many tracks would get airplay by this band in the 70s and 90s. Down on the corner, 
Great boogie rock, even danceable tracks. But actually some of my favorite songs on the album are their slower paced songs. This one's called Have You Ever Seen The Ring? There's a lot of short songs on this record, but unlike many compilation releases, they included the glorious full-length 11-minute version of Heard It Through the Grapevine, in which they just pretty much jammed. Kevin, I say it's kind of tough to put a Greatest Hits compilation on this list because I just... I want to respect the original albums as they were released, but with some bands like this one, you just can't deny what a great collection of music this is. Oh, without a doubt. And I'll have to, let me just preface this by saying I'm going to be in full disrespect mode as we go through this uh, top 100, because when you told me that greatest hits were allowed, that changed the complexion of my list entirely. This will, and I should also note, at somewhere down the line, this will be on my list because I come back to Chronicle again and again and again. I haven't really explored a lot of their individual records, but the, the, maybe the greatest compliment I can, I can say about Credence is no band, no band sounds like Credence. They created a sound, particularly with John Fogarty's vocals, that is uniquely theirs. I will listen to Chronicle forever. Very well put. At number 93 for me, this is Creedence Clearwater Revival, double album release, and then double CD release. Chronicle. This next song is quite simply the greatest composition in human history. And if you disagree, I will fight you. Gonna find my baby, gonna hold her tight, gonna grab some afternoon delight. Okay, so at this point, Jeff and others listening are probably going, where the hell is this going now? Well, I'll tell you where it's going. This is my pick from 2004. There's that decade again. This is the Anchorman soundtrack. So what you're hearing is not the Starlight Vocal Band from 1976. You're hearing Will Ferrell, Paul Rudd, and a couple of other actors sing this campy classic from the mid-70s. And the reason I chose this, Jeff, is because, very simply, it is a record I will go back to. Not so much for Skyrockets and Flight Afternoon Delight, but throughout this soundtrack, Will Ferrell, as Ron Burgundy, introduces uh, all of the tracks, which are fun, goofy, nostalgic, but memorable songs from the 70s. And he introduces them with some just off-the-wall ramble. In 1976, Evil Knievel, Cheryl Teagues, and myself petitioned the Congress to make this next song the new national anthem. And damn if we didn't come within three votes of getting it done. Now you decide, the star-spangled yawner or this groovy tune by Bill Withers. Mm -hmm. 
That intro there you heard to this song, Use Me by Bill Withers, is probably my personal favorite, probably the funniest. Cheryl Teague's Evil Knievel and I pitching the Congress on making this the national anthem. That still makes me laugh. This soundtrack also has fun songs like Ride Captain Ride by Blues Image and even one of the best R&B 70s songs that will show up later in my list as part of a Greatest Hits tribute, uh, She's Gone by Daryl Hall and John Oates. The, the soundtrack for me, Jeff, is just full of good songs. They're not great songs, but they're just fun to listen to, and they're perfect for the context of this movie, this goofball uh, character that he plays. And I just love throwing this CD in, listening to his goofball intros, and then these really fun songs that capture the time and, and the, the decade in which this movie is set. I never uh, have heard this CD before. In fact, it's not even available anywhere on the internet to stream. You have to buy the CD. And it is pretty funny, though. And I respect its position on your list because it does have an interesting, quirky combination of classic rock songs. This one's maybe the, one of the bigger songs, but some of them are a little more obscure, but really actually great choices. So uh, interesting pick. All right, let's go to the pick line. Howdy, the pick listeners. Brian LeMay from San Diego with my top five albums of all time. Number five, the Almond Brothers Band, the self-titled debut album. Uh, viewer advisory, the centerfold depicts naked hippies sitting in a creek. Number four, my all-time favorite band, the raucous yet refined Atlanta Rhythm Section. Their second album, Back Up Against the Wall. Number three, Humble Pie Smoking, fronted by the incomparable Steve Marriott, God rest his soul. Number two, Nazareth, Hair of the Dog, called that only because they couldn't print Son of a Bitch on the album cover. And number one, my fave of all time, Bad Company Desolation Angels from 1979, includes the single best recorded song I've ever heard, She Brings Me Love. And I hope she does. It's such a I'm not really even aware of this song, and he thinks it's the best song ever recorded. <laughs> well, I got to hand it to Brian. He uh, he's convicted. He is very passionate about his choices. Uh, I got to got to tip my hat to someone that's that passionate about the Atlanta rhythm section. The only thing I can say about this Bad Company tune is I'm pretty sure it's on the same record that has Rock and Roll Fantasy, which I thought was sort of their peak, their absolute last sort of peak in their career, and then they really faded away. All right, a reminder to all of our listeners to call the pick line for the pick three four. That's the number you dial for the pick three four, and tell us some of your favorite albums. All right, she's saying number 92. So that's what yeah, what is that? What is that little tinkling? Has she got like a glass in her know, hand? I don't know. I don't know what she's doing. But that's uh, the ASMR call out for number 92. My number 92 is from 2007. This song features Amy Winehouse. The album is versioned by Mark Ronson. Well, 
The album is called Version because it's an album full of covers, actually, and Ronson teams with different singers on each track. For this one, Valerie, it was originally released by a band called The Zootons just a year before this album was released. I had never heard of this song, or that group for that matter, but other tracks are more recognizable, like this brassy version of Radiohead's Just. Or my favorite Britney Spears song, with Dirty Old Bastard joining in. And Stop Me by the Smiths. This album did much better in the UK than in the US, and Ronson really wouldn't hit it big here until 2015's Uptown Funk with Bruno Mars. Most people will say that's a Bruno Mars song, but it's not. It's Mark Ronson. But for the best song in this album, My Money is definitely on Valerie. It's one of my favorite songs of all time, probably, and just blows me away uh, as much as any Amy Winehouse song ever did. The first song I checked out on, on Ronson's versions was the Radiohead song. But by far, this was the one that I went, wow, I need to download that. It just is such an, a poignant reminder of what an amazing talent Amy Winehouse was and how sad it is that we're not going to have the chance to see what she might have been able to do. Question for you, is Ronson considered a DJ, a producer, or is he an actual uh, musician? All of the above. Okay. He uh, definitely started as a DJ, but then he was one of the producers on Amy Winehouse's Back in Black. He just started collaborating with more and more singers. And his albums have not all been cover versions. His albums after versions came up with a lot of original songs, but often pairing with different people. I'm not even sure if he sings himself, but if he does, it doesn't do it much. And he's a multi-instrumentalist, uh, just kind of all over the map. I, I kind of wish there were more guys like him that just did these great different compilation albums and comes up with songs like this. Yeah, it's a really fun listen. The artist is Mark Ronson. The album, 2007's version my number 92 so now for my number 92 this is probably the closest thing i will have to a country record in my entire 100 this is the cowboy junkies this is from uh, the late 80s it was uh, recorded in toronto's church of the holy trinity the record is the trinity session this track is misguided angel Sometimes just plain man I need him to keep me satisfied This album was not particularly a commercial smash here in the U.S., although it did achieve gold status. Interesting about the Cowboy Junkies, they were a band in that late 80s, early 90s period where alt, alternative rock, alternative music, left of the dial bands were starting to creep into the mainstream consciousness. 
Beyond this record, though, I don't know that they ever really went anywhere. They certainly developed a following. The uniqueness on this record is that it's an entire session recorded live. It has several, has a handful of really cool covers, including this one. This is their own take on the classic Blue Moon. So if it isn't clear now, by, by and large, this is a very mellow record, but one that I continue to go back to that I love to just play in the background. You've heard some elements of country, and I've mentioned the fact that uh, they've done some outstanding covers on this record, including their biggest hit, which I'll get to in a second, including some tracks that really have an obvious blues feel to them, like this one, I Don't Get It. By far the most enduring and most recognizable to track on this record today is this cover of Lou Reed's Sweet Jane. So Jeff, I mentioned this one is probably my single pick that you could maybe classify as a country record. It's also probably the mellowest of the entire 100 that I'll pick for this list. What's continued to be special about this record for me is that it was one of the first that I pivoted to in the left of the dial selections that really got me going down that path of discovering music that wasn't being played by mainstream radio. Yeah, this is an album I've had for a long time. I never really, uh, I think it was almost too mellow for me that I didn't listen to it a whole lot. I actually like one of their later albums called Lay It Down better, even though I would recognize this as probably being a better achievement by this band. But as mellow music goes, this is some of the best, and I think this song is on my list of all-time great songs. I think that's a, that's a really good word to use there, achievement. I mean, their, their legacy maybe is not going to be that well-known, but for this one effort, I think they really knocked it out of the park. All right, so that's your number 92, Cowboy Junkies, The Trinity Session. My last pick for today is a pop album that catapulted a dance floor starlet into the stratosphere. The 1984's Like a Virgin secured Madonna as a force in music. She's unafraid to flaunt her sexuality while demonstrating she had true talent to take over the pop world. It was her second album after her very popular self-titled debut, which was really a dance record. But in this one, she really displayed her range, including her first slow song. Just a vacancy. Love don't live here anymore. Now, don't get me wrong. Her first album is great. It's actually higher on my list than this one. But wow. this album broke through as a representation of the fact that she had the chops become the queen of pop and Kevin I think this was exactly two years after uh, Thriller came out and I feel like Michael Jackson was already reigning as the king of pop 
but already at his peak. And Madonna, at this point, was emerging as the queen of pop with her peak still years away. They called this the Big 80s. And this album was one in a string of gigantic albums. You mentioned Thriller. I would throw 1999 into that mix. I would throw Born in the USA into that mix. And this one followed by Synchronicity, or actually Synchronicity came before this, The Joshua Tree, the list goes on and on and on. And this one stands right up there with all those others as signature albums of that decade, a very important record. try to balance my criteria between how much I loved an album when it came out versus how much I love it now. I can't say I listen to this album much anymore, but when I do, I'm reminded of how great it was and an impact it had on pop back when it came out. And I just have memories of my high school years that sync up with just about every one of these songs. So definitely uh, impactful in my uh, music history. Great point, Jeff. And in that same vein, I'm going to close out my first 10, my pick at number 91 with one of the first records I ever purchased. So the year was 1980, and this is The Game by Queen. This was the first single released called Crazy Little Thing Called Love, which I've, I've since come to uh, realize is Freddie Mercury's homage to Elvis. Uh, I just remember it as this awesome tune that I heard on the radio that was kind of their follow-up to We Are the Champions and We Will Rock You. Those two songs helped me discover Queen. This one was the first time I really immersed myself in a Queen album. But of course it was followed up by their biggest commercial success, a song that's basically a disco tune. I don't know about you, Jeff, but in August or September of 1980, there was absolutely nothing bigger than this song, Another One Bites the Dust by Queen. I couldn't get enough of it. And it's one of those rare songs that got, frankly, overplayed that I can still listen to and really enjoy today. It was ubiquitous that year to the nth degree. And it, this album, as I've often said, was one of the few cassettes that my sisters and I had on our trip to Europe in 81, and we played them over and over and over again. And this album is higher on my list than you have it. We'll close it out with a song that uh, still gets air airplay on classic rock radio, which surprises me, but it's an absolute just jam by Queen, and it's called Dragon Attack. One of the all-time great uh, air drum solos that I still uh, love to perform. Even today, Jeff, that drum solo by Roger Taylor, it just kicks ass. And the song is so free-flowing, you could just get a sense of their improvisation in the studio that they just let it rip and let's just see where this goes. And there's just so many fun moments in this song. It was really Queen's peak as far as uh, album sales and so forth. This, this album is definitely more accessible than their earlier work, but a parts of the album like this part right now is reminiscent of Night at the Opera, Day at the Races, Jazz, even their early album, Queen, the first album, 
Great stuff all the way through. They followed up in the 80s with some high points, most notably when they, just after this record, they released their first greatest hits compilation that had Under Pressure on it with David Bowie, which might be their greatest song, at least in the, in the opinion of some. But they steadily declined in terms, I think, radio play type popularity. There kind of was no place to go but down after the success of this record. This is Casey Kasem in Hollywood. Calm them down in AT40. We've got 27 hits to go on our way to a new number one. So stay right there. Well, actually, Casey, I uh, hate to break it to you, but we've got 90 to go. Oh, fuck. Oh, geez. It's no big deal. Yeah, it's yeah. okay. Take it easy, Casey. You're fine. You know, we got a long ways to go on this. That's how we're almost finished. Good golly, Miss Molly. Uh, take it easy. We, we've got more. Uh, didn't someone, didn't anyone tell you this stuff? You know, they do this to me all the time. I don't know what the hell they do it for, but God damn it, I don't understand it. Is Don on the phone? I don't know. Is Don on the phone, Kevin? I haven't seen Don for days. I think we'll be fine. We've got other episodes to do it. And in fact, nine more Pick 100s coming in the coming months to get all the way down to our number one. So we hope that you can stick with us. And we're sorry that uh, there was a miscommunication. Boy, this is fucking ponderous, man. Ponderous. Fucking ponderous. Uh, Yeah, lay off the weed, Casey. Casey seems a little upset there. But anyway, that is our first 100 through 91, our first 10 picks for the Pick 100 and as I said earlier, Kevin, I'm impressed with uh, the the relatively recent selections on your list so far. Well, thank you, and I must I must return the compliment but compliment by saying I, I, the range of your choices is fascinating. So I can't wait to see what we're going to get uh, as we move uh, through the countdown. I can't promise you I'm going to. Um, stay in the in the more recent uh, decades as we move closer to number one. I suspect that because I know there's a lot of groups uh, like you 2 and the police we haven't heard from yet that uh, you cherish greatly and will uh, be highly represented on your list. And I think mine gets mine definitely gets a little less diverse too as we get higher because I really appreciate a lot of those older albums too. And one last thing to note, this process not I would I think you would agree Jeff not as easy as it might sound. I think both of us left probably 50 records on the cutting room floor. Absolutely. Not only that, we have to then rank the ones that are left in the top 100, which I took days and days rearranging and so forth. And I'm still kind of tweaking with the ones that are in the top 90. So it's not as easy as this seemed, but it's definitely fun. And I definitely am enjoying uh, visiting some of these albums that I haven't listened to in a few years. A fun obsession is what it's been for me so far. Yes. And again, all of these picks are listed on our website. We'll reveal them on the website as we reveal each episode as well as links to the songs that we featured in the show today. And most importantly, don't forget, the pick line is open and ready for your calls. We want to hear from you on your favorite albums of all time, or just, you know, one or two of them. You don't have to sit and stress it like we do about which one's the best. I feel like we should close this. There's only one appropriate way to close this. How should we say this? The pick line. No, I was going to go for keep your feet in the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Thank you for that, Casey. Join us next time for the pick 100. Now, one thing you should do is subscribe to our website. Just go to thepickcast.com, scroll down to the bottom of the homepage and enter your email address. Then you'll get a couple of emails each week announcing new episodes and new videos. Music for The Pick by Audionautics.com. The Pick and The Pick 100 logos are by Matthew Rhodes. For The Pick, I'm Jeff Payne. And I'm Kevin Toon from Portland, Oregon. So long, everybody. (laughs) 